0: Today I'm offering a, a sermon on the topic of parenting, and I'm qualified to teach on parenting because I've got parenting totally figured out. <laughs> Down. <laughs> Locked in. <clears throat> Is he going to start every sermon like that? <laughs> um, we're, we're wrapping up a short series of three sermons and it's the series has been called Principles, and what we're doing is we're just holding up a couple of common parts of life. We've talked about marriage and money, and today we're talking about parenting, and we're simply asking the question: What difference does following Jesus make in the various parts of my life? Um, what would it look like to actually, like, weave into the various parts of our lives the teachings of Jesus? Are there some basic principles that might give us sort of a starting point as we navigate? All the various parts of our lives. Last week, we talked about money. Here's an example in case you're new with us. This is what we we're talking about. We considered two money-related principles from Scripture, gratitude and generosity. And we basically said there's a, whole lot, there's a whole lot more we could have said about money. But a starting point, if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to um, integrate your faith in Christ with your relationship with money, would be... To be more and more thankful all of the time for the resources that you have. And when we find that we're more and more thankful, what happens is we're more and more generous. So we got gratitude and generosity as a couple of Christian principles affecting the way we manage money. Essentially, we're coming at this from this angle Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind all our strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. This is Christ's description of entire devotion to God. This is what it looks like when your whole life, every part of it is devoted to God. And I think that um, one of the most helpful practical ways to grow into a spirituality that actually makes a difference in our real life is to hold up each part of our life to the light of the teachings of Christ And honestly say, what do I need to adjust in this part of my life in order to faithfully follow Jesus? So today I'll be talking a little bit about parenting. As I've said in the context of marriage and money, I'm not, I mean, I'm not talking about this because I'm a master parent. I'm talking about this today because it's a big part of a lot of our lives and I'm in the trenches. I'm in the battle. I'm desperately needing my faith in Jesus to make a difference in the way I show up For my kids, many of you are probably better parents than me. Um, I have a lot to learn about parenting, and I am actively learning about parenting. In fact, I asked two people from whom I would really like to learn more about parenting to preach this sermon. And both of them looked at me and smiled and said, no, thank you. (laughs) So it's me. Here's my best shot, and I hope this honors God, and I really hope this helps you. Um, I'm going to hustle through a bunch of content. This sermon basically breaks down into five parts, all right? Here's the big one in the first one. The big idea of today's sermon on parenting is this. Good parenting is parenting or guidance that accurately reflects the character of God. One more time. Good parenting is parenting or guidance that accurately reflects the character of God. Now, none of us are going to do this perfectly But we can attempt to do this honestly and wholeheartedly. The writers of the Bible have some to say about parenting. Not a lot. There's a few examples. Like Moses, the leader of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, after he delivers the Ten Commandments to the people, he says this, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then he says this, impress them on your children. So there's an example from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul is an early Christian. He's planting churches around the Roman world. And he writes this to one of the churches. The church, the letter is called Colossians. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So we have some very few examples of kind of brief parenting one-liners in Scripture A little bit about parenting, but not a lot. Because really, the Bible is not a book about parenting. But then on the other hand, in one sense, the Bible is written to reveal the character and the will of God to people. And in the sense that Jesus um, reveals God to be our father in heaven, in, in one sense, all of the Bible is a book about parenting. It's not really about our parenting, and it's not about our parents' parenting. It's really... About God, who is the good parent. God is the good parent. And our parenting, or if you like, our uncling, or our aunting, or our grandparenting, even our coaching, is good parenting to the degree that it accurately reflects the character of God. In other words, if I, I did a good job parenting my kids last week, if my parenting looked like the way God parented me last week. And if I didn't parent my kids in a way that looked like the way God parented me last week, then that was not good parenting. What a terrifying responsibility. (laughs) What a compelling opportunity. We should be clear at the start. It's not just fathers who teach children about God. It's father figures. It's not just moms who teach children about God. It's Biological moms and moms that adopt kids, and moms who we adopt later in life because we're looking for more parenting because we have such a deep desire to be guided and cared for, and encouraged and instructed. Many of us have relationships with our parents, even more of us have relationships with father figures or godmothers or other adults that we look to for help. Some of us have our own children, but even more of us. Have relationships with kids that are not our own children, but kids that look to us for guidance, for coaching, for support, for instruction. So the big idea this morning is this. Good parenting is parenting or guidance that accurately reflects the character of God. None of us are going to do this perfectly. But all of us can attempt to do this honestly and wholeheartedly. All right? Part two, what is the theological foundation of parenting for Christians? How might we think theologically about parenting? In other words, what bedrock truths should inform our understanding of parenting? Primarily, the answer to those questions is this. It is the set of beliefs often held up as or called the doctrine of the nature of God or the character of God. Things like this. God is powerful. God is present. God is knowing God is faithful or constant or stable. God is good. God is love. <clears throat> Let me work through a couple of those to give you some examples. One example, God is all powerful. God is omnipotent, omnipotent, right? I'm not, we're not, because we're not God. But the strength that parents show can be an accurate reflection of the character of God. When a child knows my mom is a strong woman, or when a child sees her father as a a source of strength, that strength is an accurate reflection of what is true about God. They're learning from parents a truth about God. Or another example, God is ever present, all time, all places. He is omnipresent. You're not, and I'm not, Right? We're not omnipresent, but when we are present, when we are listening, when we see, when we empathize, our presence is a true reflection of the character of God. We're, we're communicating something that's accurate about God. On the other hand, if we're distracted, if we're disinterested, if we're you know scattered and distracted, we're not accurately reflecting. The truth about God. So, if a kid sees a parent who is or even appears to be distant or disinterested or distracted, the kid will probably imagine that's what God's like too. All the aspects of God's character are super important. Probably the most, I think, the most unique aspect of God's character according to the Bible. In other words, the way the Bible describes God that other holy books do not describe God as, is good. The Bible describes God as good. David prays in Psalm 103, this phrase that appears over and over in scripture, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This God of the Bible is a good God. David prays in Psalm 119, you are good and what you do is good. And then Jesus in Matthew's gospel gives us an example of of teaching about the character of God with the parenting metaphor. This is what Jesus says. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? When we are good, we reflect the truth of the character of God. When a child believes, one more example, that they are loved, that is an accurate, that is a true reflection of God because God loves his children. The truth is, my children are loved by God. When I demonstrate that I love them, I am reflecting the truth of God's love for my kids. Part three. Let's push towards some specific practices for parenting, ways that our devotion to God can and should impact the ways that we parent. You could make a huge list, of course, of of practices. Let me just roll out four really quick. Um, First, and so, so important, we are called to model for our children. We are called to model the faith for our children, to show them, not just tell them, to show them our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, what devotion to Jesus looks like. If a kid wonders, what is God like, he ought to be able to look at his Christian baseball coach and get a good idea, an accurate picture. If a kid wonders, what is God like, and she has a Christian teacher at school, She ought to be able to copy the behavior, to imitate the behavior of that Christian teacher and end up following Jesus, even if she's never even read the Bible. We're called to model the faith. Jesus says over and over and over again, follow me, follow me, do what I do. I'm going to show you how to live. And that's very challenging challenging to me. You know what's even more challenging to me? Paul, who says twice in his letters, Follow me as I follow Christ. That's incredible. You can just do what I do because I'm following Jesus. So just imitate me as I follow Christ. So modeling is one practice that should inform the way we parent. Second, our devotion to God should be consistent, not occasional. In other words, another word for consistent might be wholehearted. All the time. In other words, we're not living one way with one group of people and living another way with another group of people. Kids are so unbelievably good at sniffing out inconsistency or hypocrisy in adults, right? They get it really, really fast. God, writes James, the brother of Jesus, does not change like shifting shadows. So, consistency is critical for the Christian parent if we are to reflect the truth about God. That, means, that filters down to stuff like this I shouldn't show favoritism. And I shouldn't excuse behaviors in the privacy of my home that I'm not okay with in public. I gotta be consistent, right? Now, am I gonna be perfectly consistent? No. But I can be increasingly consistent. And number three, I can be honest. And that's another practice for Christian parents, radical commitment to honesty. I want, this is, this is the way this rolls out for us. I'll say things like this to my kids. I, I value this, I wanna be this kind of dad. I wanna show up for you like this, and I make mistakes. I, I'm sorry that I did that the wrong way. I sin sometimes, and that hurts you, and I'm sorry that that hurts you. Um, this honesty is not an excuse, but it is a practice that I think keeps parents from doing, I think, one of the most dangerous things, which is pretending. We, we, it doesn't help our kids when we pretend to be something we're not. So even if we feel like we are just you know, bringing up the rear in the parenting race, I think it's mostly helpful to be um, honest about it. I should honestly acknowledge when I don't Do what I want to do. That I made. That that I didn't. I hoped to do better. And when I sin and it hurts my kids, I should actually model what Christians do when they sin, which is confess it and receive forgiveness. And my honesty with my kids about my need for forgiveness is, I think, a valuable thing. And then finally. A Christian principle, a final Christian principle is this. It's so core to Christianity that it's a core principle to almost everything, It's and especially parenting, it's grace. The Christian parent should be graceful, which means receiving grace and extending grace. And sometimes I look at my kids, like when they're on the field, or when they're sleeping, or sometimes just across the table, and I'm like, this is crazy. God's plan for my life is to teach that person about God. That is, I'm going to need a lot of grace, okay? (laughs) Which means I need to receive grace and give grace. Parenting is not about performance. That's the only sentence some of you need to hear today. Parenting is not about performance. It's about grace. What if you could actually teach your children about the grace of God. That'd be like the most beautiful thing you could do as a parent, to actually communicate in a way that lands in their soul the grace of God. So four practices that I've just kind of picked out of the pot, because there's so many. Modeling, consistency, honesty, and grace. Couple more things. Here's three quick observations that I'm finding helpful right now. I'm just trying to be as helpful by being as transparent and appropriate as I can. Um, This is kind of my learning edge on parenting. And I realized as I was working on this that most of the best information that I've received in the last 10 years about parenting has come from monks and nuns. Just like, let that sink in for a second. (laughs) Yeah, it's just fascinating to me, and it shouldn't really be surprising, and here's why. Monastics or monks and nuns, they're living a version of family that just sort of sidesteps the whole marriage analogy and just sort of forgoes the whole parenting analogy and goes right to the real thing, union with God and seeing all of humanity as brothers and sisters, right? So they just sort of go right to the point. In other words, they're less encumbered by changing diapers, constantly changing soccer practice times, right, the the carpool chaos, uh, the curfews for teenagers, all that stuff that we kind of think of as parenting, not on their plate. And so they're able to really focus on the essence of the parent-child relationship. Consequently, their insights, for me, have been so powerful. Let me give you a couple examples. I was talking to a friend of mine, Sister Maximilian Marie Gerritsen. She's a Dominican sister or nun. On the phone a couple years ago, and I'm complaining about my current parenting challenge. I don't even remember what it was, but I'm going on and on about this challenge I have in my role as a parent. And she says, oh, so what you're saying is you actually have to parent And I needed that, I, need, I needed like that loving correction from my perspective that frankly was getting pretty settled into this, I'm the parent, therefore my kids should do X, Y, Z. And I needed to get more into this spot which was I'm the parent, therefore I should parent, right? I, I, can, I typically think of parent as a noun and I need to think of parent as a verb. Here's a second observation. This is from a Benedictine monk named Hubert Van Zeller. It's about shared responsibility. Great quote. This is, what it, this is what he writes. Life in a family is only really successful when everyone has a lot of dull things to do for everyone else. Not heroic things, but dull ones. Family life is really only a blueprint of the rest of life. One loves the people one is with, whether they're our parents or our children, not because they're amusing, but because they need us to be nice to them. This is a super healthy corrective for me. So much of the modern dad stuff that I'm exposed to, though really good in a lot of ways, just sort of Talks about heroic adventures. It's like the good dad is swimming with sharks and his kids, you know. The good dad is like jumping out of airplanes. And I think that's so, so powerful to make good memories with your kids. But you know what? Um, What's really important is that I teach my kids that grow, and I think you either learn this in your home growing up or you don't, that life is about shared responsibility and specifically, family life is about shared responsibility. In other words, you do a lot of really dull things together and for each other. Like pick up the, you know, the kitchen table or fold the laundry or wash the, the dishes or whatever. We help each other. We serve each other. It's our job. It's our responsibility. It's not super dramatic. It's super dull. Here's the, the quote continues. He says, it's when enjoyment without responsibilities is the goal. That in the family, as in all human relationships, the foundations begin to wobble. Enjoyment without responsibilities. Imagine a beautiful meal. Everybody enjoys it. It's so good. And then everybody leaves. <laughs> and there's all the food. It's enjoyment without responsibility. That that's, erodes the foundation right, of the family. These are just three observations that I think maybe used to be obvious to people, but I don't don't think they're very obvious anymore. Parent is a verb. Shared responsibility is critical for a healthy family or community. And then here's the third. Trusting your kids is as important as protecting your kids, and maybe more. A generation ago, I was reading about helicopter parents you know, parents that just sort of hover around their kids and, and, and just want to be like, never leave them, never let them leave their sight. And then last year, for the first time, I read this phrase, uh, snowplow parents, to, to describe a parent that forcefully removes any obstacle in the way of their child, right? No adversity, I'm going to take care of it all, right? And I notice in my work with kids at the foundry as a coach, Kids don't advocate for themselves, and I think it's more not so much because they don't want to. It's because they're not even given the choice or the chance. Parents talk to the coach. Parents talk to the teacher. Parents talk to the admissions counselor in college. Parents talk to the job recruiter. And I can tell you several stories of parents who actually talk to their kids' bosses And we position this all as supporting and protecting our kids. Really, we're afraid. We're afraid. This is fear-based parenting. And I think what fearful parents, and I would put myself in this category some days, what fearful parents fail to recognize is that growth happens through adversity and disappointment. Kids need to see that their parents trust them. Kids need to see that their parents believe in them and are even willing to allow natural consequences to do what only natural consequences can. Kids need parents to trust them as much or maybe even more than I think they need us to protect them. And this is especially true for Christian parents. And this is why the Bible says that God's plan of restoration happens through us, the children of God. God is not a snowplow parent. God allows us to go through and be formed by adversity in part because he trusts us to be ambassadors in the world. How's the world going to know how to not be buried in despair if Christians don't go through suffering and learn how to be hopeful in despair? See? He could protect us from all pain, but our role is to be ambassadors of the truth to the world. He trusts us to endure pain so that we can participate with him in the restoration of all things. Gosh, I want to protect my kids from pain. It's hard to Trust them when I see them heading for pain. All right. So, three observations. Parent is a verb. Shared responsibility is critical. And trust is as important as protection. Maybe more. I just offer, the, that's the living edge for me. That's what I'm trying to learn and live into. That's where I'm, that's my current parenting Um, battle let me end with three quick stories really fast here's a story about healing I met with somebody recently who shared with me a specific brokenness that has affected their life and not only their life but their peers lives and not only their peers lives but the generation before them and the generation before them And, of course, this person can relate to this specific kind of brokenness because he gets it. It's been part of his family for generations. But he's going to break the destructive cycle. That sin that hurt him is going to end with him. This will not be passed on to his children, to the next generation. And that journey will be difficult and painful for him. In fact, it will take his whole life. It will be the major work of his life to be where the curse stops and the blessing for the next generation begins. But what a beautiful gift to give to his children. And more importantly, see how he is going to reflect the truth of deliverance that comes from God. He's going to be the one who sacrifices in order to give salvation In a certain way to his kids. Beautiful example in my mind of parenting is healing. Here's a sad story about hurt. It's also brought into a situation this week in another state. This is not a local story. In another state about a father figure who was trusted by children and abused that trust. And that kind of experience. Um, grieves me on so many levels, but mostly because I know that now these children are going to have to learn the truth about God while also trying to unlearn lies about God that were communicated through action on the part of a father figure. These are lies that will be difficult to break because they were communicated by a trusted father figure. And then lastly, this is a story about love. Um, I've told some of you this story before. This is the chicken water story, and I just want to honor my dad in in this story. Um, My chores growing up included taking care of the chickens and the sheep and the pigs, and specifically the part that I always (laughs) neglected was giving the chickens fresh water. It all seemed so ridiculous to me because chickens just step in clean water, and they're happy to drink the dirty water that you just pour on the dirt, you know, and, and, and so, but my, it was really important to my parents that they had chicken, the chickens had clean water, and if I was grounded 10 times as a middle school kid, nine of them were because I didn't give the chickens clean water, and this absolutely drive my parents crazy, so one of my favorite memories of my dad is uh, this evening where um, it was discovered that the chickens did not have fresh water, and my dad came home from work, and he looked at me, and he said, I'll meet you at the chicken coop, And uh, so we walked down there, and the the chicken water is just like an inch of slimy mud. I mean, it's just disgusting. My dad looks at it. I look at it. He looks at me. I look at him. He says, where's the brush? It's been so long since I've used the brush. I didn't know where it was. And so my dad gets down on his knees in the chicken coop and starts washing this nasty chicken water dish um, it was a corrugated, enameled, old refrigerator drawer, I think. It was this, this big square thing. And he's washing it, and he wears a ring on his pinky finger, and I can hear the ring going over the corrugated bottom of this nasty container. And he scrubs this thing for a long time while I watch, and he gets it perfectly clean, right, like navy clean. And I'm feeling embarrassed Right? I'm embarrassed that I didn't do my job. I'm embarrassed I didn't do it again. I'm embarrassed that now my dad is on his knees in the chicken coop looking undignified as I stand looking over his shoulder from several feet away. And then as the sun goes down and the job is completed, he stands up and he looks at me. He turns around and he looks at me and I see this he's got tears in his eyes. And he comes up and he gives me this big hug. He pulls me in close and he holds me really tight. And he says, I just love you so much. And then he lets go, and he turns around, and he walks to the house, and I kind of am like a noodle, right? It would be several years before either one of us would embrace Jesus, but that experience has stuck with me, friends, for 40 years. I think it definitely makes my dad's parenting highlight reel, but even more important, it's a, it's a parenting moment that reflected the truth of God's love for me in a way that is so Powerful. So powerful, in fact, that a couple of decades later, I was cleaning the barns at my dad's and my mom's place, and I found that old chicken water dish, and I cleaned it up, and now it frames a picture of me and my dad. Good parenting is parenting that accurately reflects the character of God. We're not going to do it perfectly but we can attempt to do it honestly and wholeheartedly. Amen?